Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast. You can find out more at familyvisionmedia.org and stacyontheright.com. I'm so excited about our next guest. You know what I love? Data visualization, charts, graphs, extrapolating data out into the future, analyzing trends, and people who do that kind of stuff. Those are just a few of the things that I love. And that brings us to our next guest. I am just, I'm over here salivating over this this substack that he's running. It's Matt Shapiro, writer, data visualization analyst, and engineer. His site is polymath.substack.com. Matt Shapiro, thanks for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this. Well, I'm looking forward to it because you do all the stuff that, you know, the cool kids do. Some of us can think about data visualization. You actually do it. And I'm on your site, polymath.substack.com, where people can subscribe for $5 a month to assist Matt with his data visualization efforts because, you know, we all work for, for money. Um, and you have a piece called Planning for the COVID Endgame. We live in a world with an endemic COVID and need to be preparing ourselves for what that means. So what does it mean, Matt? Oh, so that, uh, that was something I just wrote a piece on getting ready for the fact of the matter is that COVID is here and there have been so many breakthrough infections and that it's still spreading even in highly vaccinated population groups um, that we can do, we, we can protect ourselves best way we can. uh, But ultimately this is probably going to end up being something like the flu was where it just circulates around every, every year. And we have to be able to live in that world. Right. We can't do things like quarantining children for having a contact when, they have, when they're completely asymptomatic and sending them home for 10 days. That's, that's not uh, a durable practice uh, moving forward. It was something that maybe we could do when it looked like when we thought maybe we could, we could stop this thing, keep it from going forward. Um, but it's everywhere. It's gotten to everyone. And it will continue. People are going to get sick. And we need to be able to actually live a life, uh, one that's not, uh, that doesn't revolve around uh, staying at home or vaccine mandates or mask mandates, or we basically just need to be able to, to live a life of normalcy, of social cohesion. Um, And that's basically what I, what I wrote about, I proposed uh, a, a vision of what that might look like. So speaking of the data visualizations, and there's a, um, you have a tweet here that you've embedded from Trevor Bedford. And he says, I've been meaning to write a COVID endgame thread for a while. And I apologize that this is somewhat delayed. And he lists off some interviews and some seminars. And he has a data visualization here. It says, after initial wave with mitigation efforts and decreased travel, regional clades emerge. So talk to us about what clades are and what are regional clades and what is he talking about here? Right, so the, what, he's, what he's talking about overall, I'm going to give like a very high-level overview of his, of his thread, mm-hmm. is that uh, COVID, is, COVID is out there and it is circulating and it's probably going to keep circulating. Uh, immunity, uh, we, we get immunity either through vaccination or by catching COVID and we get a natural immunity. But those immunities are going to wane, and um, and it's possible to get COVID again after nine months or a year, or a year and a half. That that seems we've seen some of that 
but it seems likely extrapolating out into the future. Now, Trevor uh, is a virologist at the University of Washington, and he has been a, an enormously helpful voice uh, in helping me understand the details of, um, you know, actually he might be an epidemiologist, a virologist. But in any case, um, he's been good at helping me understand the details of, of how pandemics work and how spread works. And, and the end, the end result of his his thread is that this is going to keep circulating, and it will probably it will probably end up being about um, a higher yearly death count than the flu used to be. Now, unfortunately for us, the flu is not as any the flu is not really circulating as much because COVID has kind of taken over it. Um, but the 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 reality of that is it, that's uh, it's very much a wake up call, or it should be a wake up call for people who think that we can either stop this thing or that we can we can um, kind of policy our way out of out of ever having to deal with COVID. Uh, the most likely reality is that it, people are gonna you know people are gonna catch COVID and we can do the best that we can to try to protect ourselves, but uh, but it, it's kind of here to stay. So let's talk about that. One of the things that you just said was that, you know, the immunity looks like it wanes. We know it wanes within three to six months for people who've had the shot, but it doesn't have the same short-term waning capability or, or what have you. It doesn't wane as quickly for people who've had the actual virus. And they seem to have stronger protection against the variants, which you know, honestly, we don't know how many variants. I guess we can just count count to ourselves that there will always be variants. And as you note that it's going to continue to come, it continues to, you know, replicate itself and change and mutate, which means we have, mm-hmm. you know, an, an infinite number of, of variants that may or may not appear. So when you say endemic, you, you move past pandemic into endemic. You get to a place where people then have an expectation that they may catch COVID and some will take appropriate behavioral modification, you know, losing weight. I'm doing that. Getting your vitamin D up. I did that. Um, You know, so, you know, I I look around. I'm like, what can I control? I can't control coming into contact with someone who doesn't know they have COVID yet because they just literally are, you know, kind of incubating it themselves. I can control my own weight, my vitamin D levels, and how often I wash my hands, how often I, you know, sanitize or wipe down doorknobs, you know, steering wheels, et cetera. Um, So that is, that's what we can control. So your data visualizations and your research into this subject matter, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, Matt, is it time to move past the hysteria that everyone is going to die from COVID if we don't all get the shot? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I see, yes. Uh, one, one of the things that I talk about a lot is that um, the, the thing we should be uh, very early in this crisis, someone made the, the comment that apparently the, uh, the goal of life is not catching COVID. And it was, a, it was a joke about how we're rearranging all the aspects of our life around this, around this disease, because that's the single most important thing that, we, uh, that we're concerned about. Um, and I tried to envision a world where my guiding light is instead it's human dignity. It's and I define human dignity as, as like our ability to um, to to make our own choices uh, and to live with each other and to you know 
to be part of our families and part of our churches and part of uh, all the things that are important to us, uh, the freedom to do that. And that's where I think we need to be, we need to be looking. And so I, I'm speaking personally for myself, I am living, I, I'm vaccinated and I'm living my life as if nothing is going on. Um, But uh, I also go to a church that has a mask mandate at the moment. Um, I live in Tennessee, and we just went through a a pretty rough patch. So the the church put the mask mandate back in. I'm hoping hoping we get rid of it in a couple of weeks. I think Um, I don't think it's particularly necessary, especially with you know with having vaccines and and natural immunity that people have. I I think we can get away with it, right? I once, but I also want to be like very conscious that some people are not yet convinced that this is something we don't have to worry about. Uh, and so part of, uh, you know, part of treating people with dignity is respecting the, respecting and trying to encourage and, and calm the fears of people who still are quite fearful. Um, and so I, you know, if, if if everybody, if I could instantly make everybody think the exact same things that I do, I would say, yes, we're done. Everything's over. Um, but for the people who, who don't feel that way, uh, my approach is more of a, you know, let's start to think about, let's start imagining what the world is going to look like when this is over. And let's start putting together in our own minds, prepare ourselves for this, but to hopefully sort of draw them into that world by by helping them to think about it. So when you talk about your church having a mask mandate, this is one of the, the things that has been a little bit of a stickler. Uh, you know, it's it's your church or maybe it's your gym um, and people want to be respectful. They want to, you know, one of the things that our pastor and, and I, I have a, a membership at a gym that's at a church. It's actually a church gym. Mm-hmm. And they put a sign up after there were some discussions um, between the volunteers and those going to the gym saying, look, the mass mandate here in our county is unenforceable and it's actually, you know, it, it was rescinded by a vote. And so there was a lot of confusion about it and they changed the sign from there's a mandate to, um, you know, wear a mask or don't wear a mask, but always employ grace. So in other words, yeah. you know, be kind to each other, whether you're wearing a mask or not. So they, they kind of stepped back because there were discussions around it and the, not arguments or anything, but the, just the fact that people were discussing it and some people were getting upset. Usually it's the mask wearers who are like, you need to put a mask on. Um, that That's right. where, you know, people have to make a decision about, do you want people fighting over masks or do you want them in the church building learning about, you know, their faith, getting strengthened up for the week? Because there's more things to fight about, actually, than just masks. <laughs> like we can start off with masks and just yeah. keep on fighting for the, you know, from here to eternity. Right. Um, how how do you feel like when you're looking around us at the way that this is cracking out, even within people in the church, how do you feel it's going? How, do, are we handling this well? Because I feel like it's a it's a, a it's nasty. It's it's gone the wrong way. I I would I would like to have more dialogue about it. I'm I'm in a very very tough position because I just actually moved in the middle of the summer from Seattle where uh where the situation was uh, around covid was quite crazy for a long time uh my kids didn't go to school uh in person at all until last march and then only for 2 days a week so it was like while everybody 
in certain parts of the country, like Tennessee, were going to school. My kids were at home 100% all the time. It was a nightmare. Um, and then I moved to Tennessee, and um, and I, I'm, I'm part of this church, right? And it's a really great church, but I'm also a new a new member. Um, and the result, of that, <laughs> the result of that is that I don't know the congregation well enough to feel like I can insert myself into this conversation. But I really wish, I really wish that the church had more of a, it felt like there was more of a conversation or like, like, okay, we're going to have a, uh, uh, a congregational discussion about this um, that you can attend or you can, you can go to. Uh, I, I think I'm always surprised at what people know and don't know or how they've interpreted what they know about COVID. Uh, and and the reality is is that everybody knows some good stuff, and everybody is uncertain about some stuff, uh, and we're all making decisions in in a little bit of a cloud. Um, and I what I found though is talking to people about it helps kind of dispel the cloud. And and I haven't been a part of a big group talking about it. I'm, I would actually be a little bit worried about that because I some of the some people end up in very, very different places and trying to bridge that gap can make us, um, make us very uncharitable towards one another. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, that, that's what but, I'm noticing, the uncharitability, because I'm, you know, so when you're younger, and I, I, I think you're younger than I am, but when, when I was in my 20s, I would, um, you know, I would, I would encounter an older person, usually it's an older woman. And if they don't like something you're doing, they just, you know, turn to you and casually say to you as if they are your mother or grandmother, I don't like the way your daughter, you know, your baby is sitting in that car seat or I don't, you know, in that um, sure. not car seat, but in that, yeah. that, uh, you know, the cart or, you know, I, right. why doesn't your baby have any shoes on? And I'm thinking, well, she's a baby and she can't walk. So she doesn't have any shoes on because she doesn't need any shoes and it's 90 degrees outside. But <laughs> do tell me more. Somebody else's grandma who's being my grandma right now. So I, you know, you, right. you kind of expect that, but it's a totally another thing when my husband and I have been married for 25 years. So I'm obviously no longer in my twenties and I'm out somewhere and a complete stranger looks me in the face and then double takes because they don't have a mask on and then shakes their head in disapproval or they make extended eye contact as a form of intimidation and then, you know, maybe take a step forward like they're going to say something. And I usually just stare back with my, you don't want any of this look. Cause I, I've, I've only had one cup of coffee today, or maybe I've had three cups and that's a problem. You know, it's, it's a problem no matter what, if you're trying to tell me what to do in public, because I am a, an adult and I expect since I'm not telling you what to do, cause I actually have some great ideas and I spend uh, a, you know, a decent amount of time in the word, right? I can, I can go in there and I can find something in God's word that you're not doing. And I can support it with other scriptures and I can tell you what I've learned in Bible study. And sure. if you want to talk about what we should do, you tell me about why I should wear a mask. And then afterwards you hang around for a half an hour while I teach you some serious Bible study on Joshua and Caleb and the war in the Valley of Ajalon. You want to you want to learn about that? Because I'm here to teach you about it. Most people don't want to hear that from me. So please keep your mask comments to yourself. But people seem unable to help themselves. And the mandates just keep coming back, Matt. Here in St. Louis County, a judge just basically said, oh, yeah, that mask mandate that I put on pause, I'm going to go ahead and let that stand. And so everybody, like dutiful sheep, has strapped their mask back on, and they're giving you mean looks if you don't have one on. I'm like, can you mind your business? It's a weather change. I can barely breathe as it is. Now you want me to put a mask on? I don't think so. It's very, very, it's gotten very frustrating. And it's it's difficult because 
we, I feel like we, we, the smaller a community you're in, the easier, the easier I think it is to talk about it, right? Like I can talk about it with my family. I disagree with certain parts of my family. I'm, I'm from a big family. Uh, and I disagree with certain people in my family about certain things, but we can still talk about it because there's this, there's this baseline of respect and um, and love that we have there, uh, to, so we can we can try to hash out our differences. Um, that the the bigger you go, the less of that baseline there is, and and I, one of the difficulties, one of the things I, I very much frustrates me with that is how how political so many things have gotten. And so the mask then becomes a proxy indicator telling everybody that you're in a political tribe or not. Uh, and that is, I, I think there's a real thirst that people have um, to, uh, to to get past that. Um, but the, but uh, the, the sort of like judgmental, I don't, uh, the Karenism, um, that that certain people have is where they 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 thrive off this idea of what it really is is illegalism of telling of telling people what to do. I'm always right. I can make your decisions better than you can. Uh, for me, that's uh, that's the the real problem that I have with most mandates is exactly this attitude that I can make your decisions better than you can. Uh, and that's that's insulting when it's coming um, from even from a parent to a child. When it's true, it's still kind of insulting. Um, but doing that to strangers is ridiculous, right? And and at, at the end of the day, you can't really run a society that way. People have to be able to make their own decisions. You can't watch over their shoulder every second of the day. And 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 you shouldn't. You shouldn't have to. They shouldn't. Like we shouldn't have to worry about that um so yeah i mean it's 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 a it's a social and political and and um and and personal problem and i'm i have no idea how to solve it but i do but i do know um that in in my own life uh i i'm just i'm trying to encourage people with questions and try to get them to to think about getting out of this. So you moved from, you know, Seattle is a beautiful city, but it's also, you know, known for its uh, leftism and the kind of single party Mm -hmm. rule. And you moved to Tennessee, which is a red state with low taxes and, you know, kind of it's, it's the last bastion of freedom besides Florida um, and Texas and people really, like young, young people, especially young families, but lots of people are gravitating towards Nashville, the, the affordability, the quality of life there, mm-hmm. the weather. You know, it's not so far south that you're dying, but it is definitely warmer than where we live here in the suburbs of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, so what made you decide to choose Tennessee? You know, it was almost entirely non-political. Um, I am jo- enjoying the political parts of it, <laughs> but, but my family lives here. And because of that, I, one, one of the craziest things that happened to me last year was when my school, uh, the, my kid's school in Seattle kept saying, oh, we're going to open, we're going to open, we're going to open, we're going to open. And they kept stringing parents along with this like, oh, just two more weeks, just three more weeks. Just And um, at a certain point, I said, this is ridiculous. 
and we're going to take a month and we're just going to go visit grandma out in Chattanooga. Uh, and so we did for an entire month because my kids could do all of their work from anywhere in the country. They were completely remote as, from schooling. Uh, I, we just picked up and we came down to Chattanooga and, um, and it was a, it was a real revelation that that was like being near my family, being able to see all my nephews and nieces, being to, being able to, to help my mom when she needed help. That was what, that's how I should be living my life. And it was, um, you know, it was just because of that, that makes, that, that made me decide if we, okay, I have to move. I have to get back to my family. Um, because life is, and I think a lot of people have done this in COVID. Life is short. Uh, it's time to time to rearrange some priorities and make sure that I'm living the life I want to live. Mm, I love that. And Chattanooga is a great town. Like we we um, stopped there overnight <laughs> on our our drives. Like if we're driving across the country headed south, we will stop in Chattanooga. Um, and we eat breakfast there, and you know we always love it. So I can see why you would say, "Hmm." Uh, also, better weather. Sorry, Seattle. I know the Pacific Northwest is beautiful, <laughs> but the Chattanooga weather—that's the South. That's good weather. Um, so I want to go back to, and you—you you have the piece that I originally mentioned um, on your—it's planning for the COVID end game. But then you have the COVID restrictions narrative doesn't match reality, and both of these stories are linked in the show notes. Um, so you can check them out. Talk to us a little bit about the restrictions narrative and the reality. Contrast those for us. So this, this is something that I started noticing when I was, uh, I would, uh, uh, I'm on Twitter far too much. Uh, and I would occasionally talk about what restrictions look like. And, and I very, very frequently get people jump in and say, actually, you know, on the ground, it looks like, you know, I know our policies look like this, but on the ground, what people are actually doing is slightly different. Uh, and I noticed this in Seattle particularly because we had all these policies. Um, but then this winter, I went out and the restaurants aren't following the policies and nobody cares, right? And there we were supposed to have mandatory masks even outdoors, but the masking outdoors was maybe 30%. And so like our, our policies are not a reflection of what's actually happening on the ground. Uh, and I actually started a project based on that where I did interviews um, for people. I, I was trying to get all 50 states. I only ended up with 15. Um, but the re the reality was that it, politics is is a good indicator of what the official policies are, but it's not a very good indicator of what people do. Um, and the fact that the, the funniest part of this was the fact that I drove up very recently to see my grandfather in, in Massachusetts. And of course, Massachusetts's formal COVID policies are far more restrictive than they are here in Chattanooga. But practically speaking, um, because we, we were going through a, a big COVID surge at the time, the mo far more people were wearing masks here. It wasn't mandated, but they were because they were they recognized that there was a big, you know, big surge going on and they wanted to protect themselves and protect others. And so they did that. In Massachusetts, nobody was wearing masks. Like the and and this even went for like the there there was more masking in the Walmart in Chattanooga than there was in the Walmart in Massachusetts, and that is that that tells me that a lot of the arguments that we end up having um, are based on these assumptions that that might not actually even be true, right? And so 
people people really are more similar than we are um, different, and uh, and the, the the most reliable thing is that when people feel people take more precaution when they feel that they are in danger, and they take less precaution when they feel that they are safe, and that applies to people in New York, and it applies to people in Tennessee, and it's all over the place, and it's 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 one of those things where like. Um, where California is an enormously blue state politically, but there are still millions and millions of Republicans there, right? It, it, it's it, we we really are a, a purple country in many ways when it comes to the actual people, um, and so that's that's why the pandemic policies aren't matching reality is because people people for the most part are all really kind of acting the same. Um, as I guess as a population group, and so it, it's it, there's there's so much argumentation and so many fights over this that people get a very very distorted view of of what is happening. And I, I the other thing I found when I was doing a lot of research for this is that there does tend to be a little bit of an urban rural divide, where you can go if you go into a more rural part of blue state. Uh, you will you'll get less masking and less precautions. And if you go into a more urban part of a red state, you might get more, you might get the opposite, where where there are more uh, more protections. But but generally, I I think I think people misapprehend um, how different people they don't know are, uh, or people they've they've not met, or places they haven't gone. Um, so, which is yeah yeah I I the which is honestly part of the part of my frustration with things like school policies, um, because you can you can put in a mask mandate for a county or a town or a state, uh, and people will you know people will not follow it. They'll just you know not care, and that's and for the most part that's okay. Cause you can't man, you can't police that all the time, but you put a mask mandate in for a school. And you can police that all the time. The children don't get the sort of flexibility that adults get in in deciding whether or not they want to, you know, you know what's best for them and what's most comfortable for them. Uh, and I, I find that, that if I dig in on that too much, it'll start to cause my blood to boil because I think that that preserving the harshest restrictions for the smallest children is a, a really awful thing to do. So this is an issue of when you talk about what people assume about other people, it goes to the heart of how we understand people. And it also goes mm-hmm. to the heart of how tone deaf we have become as a country where people in the city think everyone in the county and in, and beyond the suburbs, it, they're uneducated rubes who, you know, chew on straw and, you know, illiterate, <laughs> just completely unable to, uh, to analyze, maybe have country accents, maybe listen to too much country music. And all of the people that I meet when I'm out in, you know, the, the more rural parts of Missouri or any, any state, they're always pretty much the same. They're really smart. Um, they're down to earth. And they're usually much kinder because they've not been coarsened by city life. And we we take this for granted, you know, suburbanites tend to look at city dwellers while well, they're used to dealing with crime. And, you know, we kind of are a little snooty towards right. them. Yeah. But then the people in the rural area are kind of like, yeah, 
the people in the city like living close together in horrible conditions. The people in the suburbs like having right. people who are too dumb to you know do regular math be, rule over them. Because right. the people who get elected in, in the suburbs are just nincompoops. And then out in the rural areas, what I find is you'll see somebody with a mask on, but they're obviously older, or you know the, you you I assume they have a reason why they have the mask on for their own protection. They're basically saying, I don't feel well today, or I feel like my immune system is Mm -hmm. compromised or I choose to wear a mask right now for whatever reason. And I do not feel an urge to go over and tell them to take the mask off. I'm like, you know, they they could be wearing it for any reason, just like I could be wearing it for any or not wearing it for any reason. But I just I wonder, how do we get back to a place where we just simply acknowledge that we don't like I don't know what's best for you, Matt. And you probably don't know what's best for me. We used to be a people who could kind of at least like the majority of us could deal on that level. I don't see that level of maturity in Americans anymore. It's it's very dispiriting um, when and, and I, I definitely think that, I mean, it's, it's very helpful to attack social media, but then I'm on social media. So what does that say about me? But yeah, it's, it's just for me. I'm on it, too. <laughs> <laughs> when we take. Um, the, the sort of uh, uh, nosiness or aggressiveness or, or the behaviors that um, that we have that, or that we see on social media and, and translate that into into real life because I I don't I don't know I I, I don't I don't have any solution for how to fix this uh, other than to just just try to like just to live my life in the way that I I would hope to be to treat people the way I hope that they would treat me. Um, but it's yeah I, I don't know i don't know how to how to how to fix it um i do know that people deserve to i know that people deserve the benefit of the doubt and i know that they that, that ultimately people do need to be responsible for their own actions and we can't there's no you can't put a government on top of that to force people to be re- to, to do the thing that you think they should do. The only way to do that is to uh, convince or, you know, or, or convert. Um, and, you know, and, but you, you we, we just don't have that kind of, we don't have that kind of control and we shouldn't. I just sigh because I, <laughs> you know, so you said convince or convert or even, just worry about yourself. And that sounds great. But when you look at the number of people who are losing their jobs over the vaccine mandate that actually has not been signed, like President Biden hasn't actually signed an executive order. OSHA has not come out with their final rule on the $14,000 per incident fine that they will levy against businesses who do not comply with the mandate. But businesses are already firing people, you know, a few weeks before Thanksgiving and Christmas and a time of year where you least want to be unemployed or, you know, trying to figure out your life. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're doing. And they're fixing it so that people can't get unemployment benefits where, uh, you know, millions of Americans have been sitting on unemployment benefits, fully able bodied with 10 million job openings. And no one said these people shouldn't be allowed to have unemployment benefits, but hardworking people who don't want to take a shot are being tossed out on their duffs and not given the uh, ability to have a little bit of a cushion in between finding another job. So, you know, we're, we're in bizarro world. And as a person of faith, do you, do you feel like 
the bizarro world nature of everything that we see every day kind of dovetails in with what we know about, you know, where our country is, you know, as a nation that used to be much more biblically minded and we're no longer in that place. How, how do you kind of analyze the times that we're in? I mean, I'm, I am not, I, I don't have strong opinions about millennialism or, or a lot of that stuff. I just, I don't think about it a whole lot, but I do know, the one thing that I, I think is true, I try to be very careful with what I what I actually know to be true and what I think mm-hmm. is true. But what I think is true is that um, we're the 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 practice of firing people um, or getting people fired uh, is cre and and uh, kind of dovetails along with cancel culture, and it's creating a uh, a sort of underclass of people. And who are either not employable or are, you know, who are, are being, feel like they're being attacked by society or attacked by, um, by, you know, their, their country or their government or, or corporations. Um, and having an underclass is not great in any circumstance, but if you are going to have an underclass, you want it to be small, like a really small group of people. And what this feels like with the firings is that they're trying to create an underclass and they don't realize how big it's going to be. Um, and at, at a certain point along that that path, you're going to end up with a group of people who aren't, who, uh, you know, aren't just aren't just fringe people who can be safely ignored, but who actually are um, can can be organized and can be. Um, uh, politically powerful. I don't know if politically powerful is the right word, but but the, the the this is a. I don't think they thought through what happens next. And I think that's sort of the story of the pandemic, um, which is that people put in put policies in place, and they haven't thought through what happens next. Um, and. Uh, I think I, I honestly I think that's part of what's been happening with our with the the supply chain crisis is that they think you, know, you think you can quarantine children and moss so that parents parents need to stay home and take care of their kids who they thought were going to be in school um, and that causes people to not be at work or lose their jobs or you know, all these all these sorts of and unstable things um, and I, I I think that's what's happening now i am i am i am long-term optimistic uh because i i that's just the person i am but i am short-term pessimistic about stability um political stability economic stability because this this strikes me as sort of shooting ourselves in the foot it is shooting ourselves in the foot repeatedly and wondering why we're, our feet are shot through the foot yeah for sure um, well, you know, we could go on, but I just encourage people who are listening to the podcast, if you want more data, um, I have actually linked a couple of your pieces from marginally compelling your Substack, um, the case against masks in schools. It's a fascinating article that he's written, uh, that Matt has written that, that I feel is really valuable for the conversation. Um, and so I, I included a link and if you are a chart person, there is a chart here, um, student masking, teacher masking, restricted entry, all these different things are covered 
in this piece um, and other other charts and graphs for you to peruse. Um, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I'm so glad that we got a chance yeah. to interface and I hope to talk to you again. Um, I, I just, I want to say congratulations on finding a work-life balance that works for your family uh-huh. and, you know, moving across the thank country. You. It can be daunting, but I think it's so satisfying mm-hmm. if you, you, what you did was you basically said, um, let's take this out for a test drive and 30 days. And you were like, I love this and you're doing it. I think you're going to look back on this in the future, Matt, you know, you and your family are going to look back and say, it was kind of a pivotal decision for you to be closer to family and to be in a part of the country where, you know, it's a little less politicized. Um, you know, my husband and I sometimes look back on little decisions we made and go, Oh, you know, that's kind of where we started this, or that's kind of where, you know, the direction that we were in kind of going this way or that way. And it can be so wonderful to look back on later, but living it up now, um, while the kids are younger, just do it. I, I'm, I'm so excited for you guys. And, and I think it's such a great thing that you did. Um, Matt Shapiro, uh, marginally compelling is the Substack. It's polymath. And um, I'm so excited that you got to join us today. Writer, data visualization analyst and engineer. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much, Stacey. All right. Great to talk to you. So I want to tell you one quick thing about our advertiser. Um, We have the Alliance for Shared Health, and they offer such an amazing service to families who have Christian belief systems, a Christian worldview. If you are just absolutely put out by the health insurance options that have been offered to you by the Affordable Care Act, or if you are aware and really cognizant of the amount of interaction between the abortion industry and our healthcare systems, then you know that you don't want to be supporting that or funding that because it is just the wrong way to go. So the Alliance for Shared Health is a ministry with over 40,000 households who participate, sharing in the financial burden of healthcare expenses, including needs sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental, and vision. You can access the virtual care provider at zero cost, pick up your prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, and order lab and imaging tests at discounts of up to 80%. Open enrollments now. Don't miss out on the chance to save 50 to 70% on your monthly premiums while making a difference in the lives of others who share your values. Reach out to Ash today. Head over to StacyOnTheRight.com, click the banner ad, and sign up now. It's StacyOnTheRight.com, click the banner ad, and start sharing and saving today. The Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare, changing lives. And God bless. Find out more content at FamilyVisionMedia.org and StacyOnTheRight.com.